My name is Wade. I'm one of the uh, pastors here, and I'm uh, happy to be worshiping with, worshiping with you guys today. Our text today is um, from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 32. I'll have you turn to your bulletins or your Bible, and uh, let's read the Word of God together right now. Chapter 11, verses 18 through 32. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of the Lord in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this command, commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, and from the river the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today, to go after other gods that you have not known, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on, on Mount Ebal. Are they, not beyond, are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, toward the going down of the sun, in the land of the Canaanites who live in Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. This is the word of God. So back in April, we began our series in this book of Deuteronomy. And today's sermon is the final sermon in the book of De Deuteronomy for the year. Um, next week, we're going to begin a short, a short series in the book of Proverbs. And then we'll jump back into Deuteronomy um, in January. And as we've been going through the book, we've heard over and over again the necessity of paying attention to what God is saying to his people. To remember what he has done for them to remember the covenant promises of the Lord, to listen and to obey His commands. And this is something that we see as we read the book of Deuteronomy. This is repeated over and over. And it's what we've been looking at the past several months. And today's passage, this is the conclusion of what we call the, uh, what's called the general stipulations of the covenants. Remember, the book of Deuteronomy is a collection of Moses' uh, speeches and his sermons to the Israelites. Um, these, what we went through, are the general stipulations. And when we get back to Deuteronomy next year, we'll see the specific stipulations, the uh, detailed explanations of how the Israelites are to live in light of God's covenant relationship with them. So, I read this uh, kind of long passage, and this passage is a reiteration of the primary points 
in the of the earlier chapters of Deuteronomy. And uh, this morning we have a chance to think again about the significance of the commands and the meaning for God's people. What what does it mean to really take the covenant of God seriously, our covenant with the Lord seriously? Now, as we read the words, as as I read the words, um, you might have just heard some things that you've heard before. Um, listen and obey, blessing and cursing. Um, and you know the thing is, when you are when you're listening to the word, when you are reading the word, um, sometimes you just hear what you expect to hear. And um, this is what happens to us on Sundays. This is, I grew up in the church, and I know, I know that this is a constant thing for me, that when I hear familiar themes and words, I fall into this trap of assuming that I know what God is going to say to me in this moment. What does God want to communicate to me? And before it's even said, I, I, I think I know already what he's going to say. Um, but that's not the case. In my favorite book of all time, um, Magnificent Defeat, this is a book by my f- favorite author favorite author of all time, Frederick Buechner. This is what he writes. When a minister reads out of the Bible, I am sure that at least nine times out of ten, the people who happen to be listening at all hear not what is really being read, but only what they expect to hear or read. And I think what most people expect to hear or read from the Bible is an edifying story, an uplifting thought, a moral lesson, something elevating, obvious, and boring. So that is exactly what very often they do here. Only that it is too bad because if you really listen, and maybe you have to forget that it is the Bible being read and a minister who is reading it, there is no telling what you might hear. You hear what Beekner is saying here is if you really, really listen, if you put aside your assumptions, then maybe you'll hear what God is saying. And this is what I need to tell myself that as I read the Bible, as I read things that seem familiar to me, I get bored of it sometimes. But may not may that not be the case today or in our lives. So I'm gonna repeat what Moses has been saying. Listen. Listen to what's being said in the word. My goal today is not to move you emotionally. It's not to put knowledge in your head. It's not to fill up the next 25 minutes with speech. My goal, my job is to speak what God is telling His people. And if we're listening, it means that God has something to say to you. God has something to remind you today. This is not just a ritual. This is not just a service. Do you believe that the creator of the universe, your creator, the God that has always existed, the infinite God, he has something to say to you today. So we read the word of God. It's given to us for our good. And over the next few moments, I'm just going to talk about what I think is being said um, in in the text Uh, We have three points, three imperatives, three things that we are to do in light of what God has done and said to us. So number one, we are to lay up the words. Number two, consider the blessings and curses. And number three, remember. So these three points, our first point is this, lay up the words. Um, let me start off with with an illustration here, Uh, a neat little, little observation from nature. You may have heard of cicadas. 
I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I may be wrong. Uh, cicadas. And these are the bugs that emerge, emerge from the ground in various um, parts of the world every 17 years. It's not that they wake, it's, it's not that they uh, come alive every 17 years. It's that these, these bugs, there's something in them. There's, there's uh, something biological in them that tells them you're going to stay in the ground for 17 years. And at the end of the 17 years, you're going to emerge out of the ground. And um, if, uh, if you read these little like, news tidbits uh, over the past year, you may know that on the East Coast, it was May of 2021 that these cicadas came out of the ground. The last time they, were, they came was in 2004. Isn't that amazing? 17 years later, exactly. So what do they do? They come out of the ground, they make a lot of noise, they mate, they hang around, and then they, they die. And at the end of their time above the ground, the, the ground is littered with trillions, literally trillions and trillions of cicadas, dead bugs. And then they decompose, they give nutrients to the soil or wherever they, they land. And this, I think, is pretty fascinating that uh, every 17 years, the cicadas will come out for the humans to see. But there's a wrinkle to the story in some of them. And some of them, they get infected with a fungus, and it's not just any type of fungus. This is a zombie fungus. Scientists refer to this fungus as the zombie fungus. And let me read to you a little, uh, a little bit of um, description of this fungus. This is called the parasitic fungus. is called the Massopora chicadina. Massopora chicadina. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but this is a fungus that infects the male cicadas while they are above ground, when they're emerging from the ground. And what happens is the fungus, they, they release these infectious spores into the, the tunnels that the cicadas build as they come out of the soil. And the cicadas, they get infected and the spores, they eat away at the lower half of these, of these cicadas. And um, they don't act properly once they are infected what they do is they'll they'll flap their wings like the male the male cicadas will flap their wings like female cicadas and this is to attract other male cicadas and then they will in turn infect these other cicadas and what's happening these zombie these these cicadas have no idea that this is happening because the spores the fungus has infected them and they no longer have control over their bodies now, this is kind of gross, but I think it illustrates something that's being said in this passage. Um, maybe not perfectly, but what does it mean for these insects to be infected by something that completely overtakes them? I think as Moses is speaking to the people of God, he's saying in some sense, you are to be infected, you are to be ruled by the word of God. And as he speaks to them, he gives them instructions. And I'm going to go through them again. I read them earlier, but let me look at them again. Verse 18, you're to lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. He's saying, with your very mind, with your heart, with your soul, with the very essence of your being, these words are to be a part of you. And then you're supposed to write the words down and you're supposed to put them on your head. You're supposed to bind them between your put put them to your put them on your hand. Verse 19, you're going to teach them to your children. 
when you lie down and when you rise, the word of God is to be central to what you're doing. Verse 20, you're to write, the, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses says these words to the Israelites and he's saying that it's supposed to be personal. You're supposed to be physically surrounded by it. The word is supposed to be on you physically. It's supposed to be on the doorposts of your house. Not only that, you're supposed to process it and you're supposed to teach your family members about this. You're supposed to teach your community the word of the Lord. This is personal. And Moses is saying it has to be more than ritual. It has to be more than just an add-on to your life. Your, your, your mind, your heart, your soul is to be guided and directed by the word. The foundation of your very life has to be the word. And Moses is telling these Israelites, you, you hear the word, and this is to, is to permeate everything of your being. Now, what would it look like if your life was permeated by the word of the Lord? What would your life look like if your entire being was overtaken by something? Not a fungus like the cicadas, but with something good and beautiful, What would our lives look like? How would they be different? And Moses is telling the Israelites, let this be true of you. Hear the word. Let the word permeate your being. Let the word flow out from you. And then as we go on through the text, Moses tells them, something will happen if you do that. Verse 21, your days, the days of your children will be multiplied in the land. Verse 22, When you love the Lord your God, when you walk in His ways, when you hold fast to them, the Lord will drive out the nations before the Israelites, and they will dispossess greater nations than them. The Israelites are thinking about the promised land as God is telling them, I'm going to drive these nations out for you. Verse 24, Every place in which the sole of your feet treads shall belong to you. Verse 25, no one will be able to stand against you. God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you tread as he promised you. And these are necessary to take the promised land. Remember, we're looking at the Israelites in the context of the promised land. They're on the outskirts. This is what they're looking forward to. But how is that going to happen? And who is going to do it? God says, if you take the word seriously, if you hear the word, if you let the word course through you and permeate your being, then God is going to do these things for you. Now, this is a little bit strange. If you look at the uh, what's happening in the, in the text, there is no direct correlation. Reading the word of God does not cause armies to crumble. Teaching the word to your family does not cause mighty nations to run in fear. There is no military advantage to putting the words of the Lord around your household. So what's happening here? There's no instruction for the Israelites to do anything regarding the land. Do you notice that? God will do it for them. And there's a principle here that I think applies to us, even though we're not standing outside some physical promised land. And I think it's this. We often see things that we want, or we think that God is promising something to us. And we think 
we need to take control of the situation. We need to say the harsh words to someone, or we need to need to force the situation, or we need to um, push buttons, or we need to scream louder, or we need to fill in the blank. And this is the way that I'm going to get what I want, what I think God has promised to me. But this is not how life before the face of God works. What is God saying here? He's saying, let the word of God permeate you. Let the word of God direct you. Let the chips fall where they may. And then, what's going to happen? God is going to work on your behalf. What must be central to the life of the believer is the truth of God. And God will take care of you. The word contains the directions for living. This is the word of God. It's what directs and focuses our attention. The Word of God is what shapes our worldview. It's what informs our relationships. It's what gives boundaries to our behaviors. It's what we should teach our community. And as we let these things into our lives, then we'll be transformed and we'll be changed. And Moses is saying, let the truth of God's Word be the gravity, be the center of your life. And then God will work on your behalf to bring you where you need to be, to give you what you need to do. The Word of God does its work slowly in us. Now, I know that many of us are ambitious, we're we're frontward-facing people, we think ahead to the future, and we know what we want, we think about where we might end up, it might be how we're gonna, where we're going to settle with our family or maybe where our career is headed or where these relationships are going to go. And those are good and fine and you should plan for those. But have you considered this, that what God is interested in is not the end game for you. What God is interested in is the type of person that you're becoming right now. What is happening in your life right now, little moment by little moment. So here is a call to us, to the people of God, to let the Word of God shape you, to transform you, to let your community, your household be changed. And as you do that, God will work on your behalf. So that's our first point. Our second point is this, consider the blessings and cursings. So here there is a blessing that Moses speaks of that is a result of obedience, and then there is a cursing that's a result of disobedience. Again, let me look at, let's look at the passage again. Verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, if you obey, then you'll get the blessing. And if you disobey, you'll get the curse. Moses reminds the Israelites of this again. And it's a pretty uh, basic statement that he says. In programming language, this is the if-then statement. Right? Do this in order to get that. Um, Now, this might be familiar territory for us, that in order to get something, we need to do something. Obey in order to be blessed, and disobey, and you'll be cursed. And this sounds familiar to us. It might even be comfortable for us. It might be comforting to know that there's, there's, if I do this thing, then I will get what I want. Because it sounds like, that just sounds sensible, it makes sense to do that, that to do what we're told would give us a type of life that we want. 
And to not do what we're told would result in undesirable outcomes. This is kind of the, the, the gist of religion for a lot of people. Now, what is that? It seems conditional. And if you have been around the church environment, the Christian environment, the IGC culture, um, you might think, this doesn't seem like grace. This doesn't seem gracious of God. It seems like actually like moralism. It sounds like works. Why do I have to do things to get the favor of God? Is not the Christian message one of grace? Do we not say over and over again that God's love is unconditional? That he will work, like I said just a few moments ago, on our behalf. The way to look at this, these words is to look at them in the context of covenant. One of the major themes in the book of Deuteronomy is covenant. And to refresh us, let me, give, let me, let me speak of the difference between a contract and a covenant. We often think in terms of contracts. And to us, the passage in Deuteronomy 11 might seem like a contract. Do this, get that. Do this, get that. Um, a contract is this. A contract, the, the central, central to the contract is a product or a service. Um, earlier this year, I took our car to the one of these auto repair shops in Castro Valley and there was a bunch of work that needed to be done and there was a lot of money to be paid. So they had my car for a couple days. I had the rental vehicle and they did their thing. I paid them the money and that was the end of the relationship. I do not care at all if I never see these people again. Why? Because the relationship that we had was a purely contractual one. I gave them money for a service and they provided that service to us. End of the relationship right there. But that is not the relationship between God and his people. The relationship between God and his people is one of covenants. And central to a covenant is the relationship between two parties. There is a real personal relationship with the two parties of the covenants. And when Moses speaks to the Israelites, he wants them to remember this. That the promised land is not ultimately just a physical land. The promised land is, a, is the presence of the Lord. Um, one way to think about it is this. Have you ever thought about someone else being your home? Um, you may speak of your, your house as a place to live, but what makes a house a home? It's the people in it. If you really feel comfortable with someone, if you feel safe with them, if you feel like they are for you and you can be for them, you can say, this is my home. And what you're saying is this, that the presence of this person, that constitutes where I belong. And as we look at the words of Deuteronomy, we should think that the promised land is not ultimately a land physically, but it's the presence of God who made covenant with his people. Now this is the motivation for obedience then. Not that we would get something, but that we would know and experience someone. So the question for us this morning is this. Do you trust a plan to get you what you want? Or do you trust a person to be for you who you need? Even when things don't go your way. Even when it feels like you have a curse on your life. 
the Christian concept of covenant and of grace and of love says this, that there is someone for you. And difficult times, does n- that does, ne- does not mean that God is against you. He offers you himself. He offers you his presence. And this is what we need more than anything. Look at Psalms. I'll read to you just a few passages from the Bible. Psalm 73. The psalmist says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. That sounds like a curse, doesn't it? That your body would shrivel up. That the people that you thought you could trust and love are abandoning you. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. That's the blessing. In John 6, the disciples of Jesus, they realize the words he says are offensive and they're, they're off-putting. And it's not going to give them the type of life that they want. And Jesus asks them, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The disciples that stuck with Jesus realize this. It's a person that they are following, not a plan that they're abiding by. Habakkuk 3, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no, no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Listen to this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The Christian life is not one where you get the type of life that you're hoping for because you live according to the rules of life. Very often, obeying God will lead to more trouble and more sadness. But there's someone on the other side. And if you love Jesus, if you learn to love Jesus, this is what's going to carry you through life. Things may not go how you want them to go, but hold fast. This is what Moses is saying. And obey God not because it will result in something good. Obey God because God is God. That is your motivation. You are not God. Obey because you know He cares for you and He would never withhold anything that is good and necessary for you. So what is the curse and what is the blessing? The curse is anything, any situation, any land, any relationship where the presence of the Lord is not in it. That's cursing. And what is blessing? The blessing is any place where you can say, God is with me. He is my strength. I will rejoice in Him. I am following Jesus. And if I am following Him, whether my life be awesome or whether my life be difficult, this is where I want to be because I am in the presence of my Savior. That's the real understanding of blessing and cursing. And finally, our our final point, there is this commandment to remember Moses tells the people to memorialize what they have seen and what they've done. Verse 29, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take 
possession of it. You shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebel. So, a little bit of geography for us. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebel. This is, these are two mountains, and right in the middle of these two mountains is this city called Shechem. And, and this is where, in Shechem is where there's the temp, this Canaanite temp, temple, this pagan temple called Baal Berith. Berith. Baal Berith, I'm, uh, let me repronounce that. And this is a pagan god whose name means Lord of the Covenant. Moses is aware of this. And Moses is telling them, go to this place where these pagans worship this Lord of the Covenant, this place between the blessing and the cursing, and then remember what God has done for you. Remember what you have done in honor of God. And why would he do that? Why worship in this pagan spot? It's to remind the Israelites that only Yahweh, the God of the heavens, is the true Lord of the covenant. In this place where people thought that they could trust their deity, in this place where people put their hopes and dreams, and where they saw that their, that, that their God failed them, you people of God, you go to that place and you remember all the times that you've, that the gods you've worshipped, all the cultural gods, all your desires, all your comforts and preferences. Think of how they have failed you and then remember the true Lord of the covenant. Remember that Yahweh is a true God. Remember that God is the one who keeps his covenant promises. The Lord does that for the Israelites and He does it for us. And how does He do it for us? The Lord Jesus Christ, He went to Mount Calvary and He died in that place between the blessing and the curse. Do you remember Jesus came from heaven, the place of blessing, the presence of God, of delight and joy and pleasure and indescribable goodness and holiness. He came to this place, this world that was under the curse, and Jesus on the cross took the curse upon Himself so that we would be blessed. And the Gospel is this, though even though we sin, even though we have failed to obey the commands of God, God says, my blessing is still on you. Because Jesus has taken the curse in your place. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Look to Him, the one who received your curse, so that you would receive His blessing. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word, and that You are not silent, but You speak to Your people. And I pray that Your Word would feed Your people. I pray that Your Word would encourage Your people, and that Your people would respond in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.